And welcome to another edition of Book Talk. I'm Stephen Ussery, and I'm pleased to welcome Kristen Meinzer to the program today. Kristen is a former public radio producer and current podcaster, whose podcasts include By the Book, Movie Date, and We Love You and So Can You. She has recently written a why and how-to book called So You Want to Start a Podcast, Finding Your Voice, Telling Your Story, and Building a Community That Will Listen, which is published by William Morrow. Well, Christian, first off, we should say that this is not a technical manual. Don't want to scare all the listeners out there. They're going to hear something about equipment and pushing buttons and everything like this. Oh, this, you this need is this cord, and then you're going to connect this cord, and then I'm going to use a bunch of jargon, and then there's going to be some abbreviations, and then there's going to be more technical jargon. No, I'm just kidding. There's none of that in this book, because what I wanted to do in writing this book is to give people all of the advice that they ask me for. I used to be the director of nonfiction programming at Slate Sister Company, Panoply. And part of that job was just going out in the world regularly and talking to people and talking about podcasting. And no matter where I was or who I was talking with, people would come up to me and say, hey, these are my biggest questions. And the questions came up over and over again. And what I realized was what people needed to know wasn't the chords. It wasn't the thing about this program versus that program. It wasn't the gearhead information. That stuff's readily available in any internet search. It's super easy to find, you know, comparison shopping on microphones. What people really needed the answers to most often were, why am I making the show? Who is it for? How do I promote it? How do I get it out there? And how do I structure the show and create something that people actually want to listen to? I mean, these are the big questions that people need to think about. These are the questions I wanted to answer for them or at least plant the seeds in their heads so that people can answer those questions for themselves. And while I was reading the book, it came across me that this blueprint could be used for so many different types of creative endeavor. This doesn't have to be for podcasting. Yeah, I've actually had several people write me in from other fields, writers, musicians have written me, which I thought was really fascinating that a lot of musicians have written into me saying that they've uh, used my book now too, because a lot of this is really about owning up to your own voice, not trying to imitate anybody else, knowing how to structure your project and knowing how to put it out into the world so that you're building a community around your product. Because people all the time are asking, how do I market it? How do I monetize it? How do I maximize it? They're asking all these questions, but none of those things will happen if you don't first build a community around what you're making. And, you know, an audience and a community. Those are kind of interchangeable words in a way. But in my mind, a community is so much better than an audience because a community are people who believe in what you're making. They spread the word about what you're doing. They interact with you in all sorts of ways. For example, one of my shows, By the Book, we have a Facebook community with 13,000 people. They log onto the Facebook community every day. They don't just talk about the show. They talk about what's happening in their personal lives. They talk about what's happening in their marriages. They talk about other aspects of their lives. And then those aspects of their lives always kind of weave in things like vulnerability and betterment and topics that are touched on within by the book. That's a community. Those are people who ask each other questions and support each other. And they all came together because of our show. And that is so much more important than just an audience. You want people who actually are part of something and who feel like they're a resident in this little town that you made. And the town is your product. It almost sounds like that community then gave rise to your next podcast that you and Jolenta Greenberg yeah. are doing together. Yes, yes. Our second podcast is called We Love You and So Can You, and we call it a makeover show for your heart. And in that one, every episode, we have a different guest who's facing a predicament in their lives, and we try to 
assign a set of self-love steps, which they're allowed to take or leave or reinvent or do things their way because neither Jolenta nor I want to wear the hat of like, we're the experts and you always have to listen to us because in the self-help community, we find those people probably the most irritating, the ones who claim that they're like gods and we're not like that. So we give them some steps. We say, try to follow these if you can, change them up if you need to. And just remember, we're not here to dictate. We're here to hopefully get things rolling so you maybe love yourself a little bit more. And then by the end of two weeks, hopefully they do. And then whatever their predicament is, hopefully they feel more equipped to take on the world and deal with whatever that issue is they came to us with, whether it's professional jealousy or making friends as an adult or dealing with self-doubt when they're trying to launch a new project. And we have so many different kinds of emotions we try to touch on that are human and never with shame. You know, we all feel doubt. We all sometimes feel jealousy. So it's like, that's fine. We don't want to make anyone feel like they have to fix anything. They just need to love themselves more through it and maybe feel a little less shame about it. What's the magic about two weeks since you do that on both programs? What we've found is if it's one week, it's not usually enough time (laughs) to really like, oh my gosh, how am I going to do all these steps? And it's a little bit intimidating and overwhelming. But if it's longer than that, it just becomes too much of a lift for people. Then it sounds overwhelming in a different sort of way if it's too long. And then just the logistics of things with the production schedule. You know this, you make a podcast. (laughs) Can you imagine if every month you had to make an audio reality show and your production schedule was a full month for each episode just to do the taping? And then that doesn't even count all the editing of it and the rewriting and so on. It would just be too much if it were a month or if it were, oh my gosh, some people would love to stay with us for six months, I'm sure, but that would just, then we'd only put out two episodes a year. It does give you the opportunity for like a follow-up later on. So it's kind of content that keeps generating new content down the line. Absolutely, absolutely. Because we do a follow-up episode with each of our guests and it's always fun to hear what's happening in their lives. Sometimes nothing's changed at all and sometimes something huge has changed and it's great just to do the follow-up. And, you know, I think a lot of shows out there like Queer Eye, audiences want to know like, oh, whatever happened to those gals who ran that barbecue shop that they completely remade that set of sisters over again? You know, I wonder. And, you know, they could do a whole follow-up show. We all love to know what happens to people in before and after situations. We like the before, we like the after, and then we like the after after. In podcasting, you have to wear so many hats. Mm -hmm. When you're in the early stages and you're having to do all this by yourself, how do you keep your mind and ability to focus on each thing and not become just a scattered mess? Wow. First, I just want to reassure anybody who's listening to this. If you're thinking, oh my gosh, I'm doing all this myself. All these other podcasters, they have a whole production team helping them. I wish I was like them. No, most podcasters are doing it all alone. I just want to reassure anybody listening. For the vast majority of my podcasting career, I was doing the taping. I was doing the interviewing. I was doing the writing, the editing, the music. I was doing every single thing myself. So most of us do it. And that makes us better podcasters because when we're editing something, for example, with myself, oh my gosh, just hearing myself in the early days, how many times I said, um, and ah, as a host, then I got better at not saying um and ah all the time because as an editor, I freaking hated cutting out every other, it was just the worst. I'm sure you've never done this before. I'm sure you're like a great host who never says things like um and ah. For me, it was horrible. (laughs) I trained myself to say now at the beginning of questions. Oh, that's and I, good. And now comes out pretty easily just as well as um does. But every once in a while it actually works and it w- works for a turn in yeah, the question. Yeah, it does. But I train myself to say now. Oh, that is a good hint. 
I might steal that if that's okay with you. That's really good. I love it. But to get back to your question about, you know, how do you juggle all these different things? First, I say, try to be grateful for them because they're all helping you to be better as a podcaster. When you're hosting, what you do hosting helps you become a better editor. When you're editing, what you're doing there helps you become a better writer. All these things inform other parts of yourself. Like when I'm wandering off the mic like this and I hear it when I'm editing, that makes me become a better host later. When I'm editing that and I hear how horrible that sounds, I'm like, oh, as a host, I need to make sure I stay on mic. So first, be grateful. Be grateful that you get to do all of these different things. I think it's important to remind yourself that everybody else who's making podcasts, 99% of us also are doing everything else ourselves. So nothing to be jealous of. Don't worry about all those people that you think have whole production teams helping them. That's only like 1% of podcasters who have that. And then three, be realistic with yourself. I mean, I think that you need to be fair to yourself and not beat yourself up. If this means that the lift is too heavy to put out an episode every week, it's okay to put out an episode every other week. It doesn't have to be every week. And goodness knows it doesn't have to be every day. Some podcasters, I think, are under the impression that the more you put out, the better. But that's not true either. Just you need to put out things consistently. You need to love what you're making. And you need to do it in a manner that you can keep doing it so you don't burn yourself out. Hopefully we're not scaring people off no. with this talk about the workload. So, oh my gosh. So, so how, do, how do we encourage people without scaring them, but also make it realistic? I think we also need to be clear about the joy of doing it. It's so fun, isn't it? Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a joy because I just love talking to people. Talking with you right now is just, this is the best part of my day so far that I get to talk with you. And but you got something better coming up later. Oh, I mean... No offense, but who can beat Dolly Parton? I don't care who you are, but I get to see Dolly Parton's grand old Opry 50th anniversary show, Front Row Balcony, and I'm sorry, nothing can top that. (laughs) Even my husband, if he were here. Sorry, honey, I'm going to see you later. I'm going to go see Dolly. But I think that talking with people, at least for me, is such a joy, and I accept it as a gift that people are willing to talk with me. The fact that you reached out and wanted to talk to me that's a huge gift. And I'm so excited that you wanted to do that. And I'm excited to talk with you. So there's joy in that. There's joy in putting your ideas out there in the world. And the idea that there are going to be people out there that might connect with you and listen to you. They might laugh. They might feel more seen because of what you're doing. All of those things, they're joyful and wonderful. And all of those keep me going. And then having a relationship with my community, because in addition to that Facebook community I mentioned, we receive letters every single day, emails, tweets, Instagram responses. We receive all of this interaction with our listeners every day. And, you know, sometimes they're complaining, but a lot of the time they're writing in and saying, thank you. I so appreciate this. I'm afraid to talk about these things in my own world, but just hearing you talk about them, it makes me feel like maybe I can deal with things a little bit better. So it's great anytime that we're joking around or being vulnerable about something that maybe is embarrassing for others it just opens up people's brains in a whole way where they feel less alone. So anytime you do that on your own show, people are going to connect with you. And, you know, it's just, it's a joy. Also, if you just like making stuff, you know, making stuff is fun. It's not all misery and work. I don't want to make it sound like that. And it's a chance, if you're obsessed with something, to really connect with that obsession. And I think the best podcasts are hosted by people who are obsessed with what they're talking about, whether it's feminism or whether it's books or whether it's history or whether it's movies or true crime. When a host is totally obsessed with what they're talking about, 
it's so delicious and fun to listen to. And it's delicious and fun to make because I know this from both points of view as the listener and as someone who's gotten to do it. Just as an example, when I was hosting When Meghan Met Harry, a royal wedding cast, that launched the week that Meghan Markle and Prince Harry got engaged. And it culminated with my co-host James and I going to the wedding itself. And the joy of being able to have something I was so obsessed about because I just love the royals, have something that I was so obsessed about that I could talk about every single week. Every week I was excited to run to the studio and just talk about how great they are. And then to, you know, have the whole thing culminate with us going to the wedding. It was a dream come true. It was the best. It was the best. And I'll have to admit that British royalty holds no interest to me at It doesn't all. matter. It does and, and, to me, well, and it's so I know, great. <laughs> I know. And, but that's the great thing about podcasting. There's, yes. there's room for everybody in this space. Oh, absolutely. It doesn't matter. You know, the other day I was watching a panel. I was at a women's conference called She Podcast Live, and there was somebody there talking about her podcast, which is for women who play Dungeons and & Dragons. And I thought, this is great. There are people who are obsessed in all circles of the world, there are black girl nerd podcasts. There are immigrant podcasts. There are podcasts for people who are recovering from an illness. There are, you know, whatever people's minds are most focused on, I guarantee there's a podcast out there for you. And, you know, one show I just love lately is called What a Creep. I just love hearing about creeps being made fun of. And every episode is just like somebody else horrible, like Jeffrey Epstein or Donald Trump. Excuse me if people are, you know, am I allowed to talk about politics on this show? Sure. Okay. You know, these are horrible people. And to hear them just tear apart a different creep every week, it's a joy. I love it. (laughs) I normally don't do self-help books on book talk because I think they require a lot of the reader. And also because you and Jolenta do such a perfect approach to the subject with by the book. Oh, thank you. Well, full disclosure, I hate self-help books and anybody who listens to the show very quickly figures that out. Jolenta really wants to believe their promises. Jolenta loves self-help books. She loves horoscopes. She loves crystals. She loves tarot cards. She loves all of these things that are just not in my wheelhouse. I love science. I like facts. I like a lot of other things that I think are probably more boring and more concrete (laughs) than things like crystals and so on. But I mean, I think that makes the show a perfect balance because what we're doing is essentially making a reality show, a stunt show. Every episode, Jolent and I do an academic close reading of a book and we take you know, hundreds of notes and we break down all of the rules into steps that we can actually follow. We follow those steps for two weeks straight while recording ourselves at home, at work, in the world. And listeners get to hear how following these books really enhances and destroys our marriages, how they ruin our lives, how sometimes they help us once in a while. So it's great for the listeners because, you know, so many self-help books are on the bestseller list, but how many people are actually road testing them? To me, it reminds me of all the best-selling cookbooks out there, but how many people are actually testing all of the recipes in the cookbooks? And with self-help books, I think it's good to have somebody road testing them. And in the case of me and Jolenta, I like to think we're the perfect people to do it because she's going in with so much hope and I'm going in with so much skepticism. And listeners can determine right away, like, I'm a Kristen. I actually only listen to the show for the torture and the comedy. Or they can decide, I'm a Jolenta. I listen to the show because I genuinely want my life to be better. And I'm like, Jolenta, I want to believe it. So people write in all the time and they say, well, I'm so-and-so and I'm a Kristen. And so I want you to know this, and then they'll tell us a story. Or I'm a Jolenta, and because of that, I was so thrilled to know Jolenta liked this book too. So things got meta 
a couple of months ago (laughs) on the show when you started talking about your own book. Yeah, we decided to live by my book because we were launching our new show and we thought, what better way to launch We Love You and So Can You than to live by my book so you want to start a podcast because we would be able to pull back the curtain so all the listeners could actually hear how we make the show because we get hundreds of letters every year where people want to know, how do you make this show? How many hours a week do you record yourselves? How did you come up with the structure of your show? How have your husband's not divorced you yet? I mean, people want to know all the time how the sausage gets made. And we thought, well, this is a perfect chance for them to see how the sausage gets made. So we showed them all the good and the bad of starting a new show, including feedback from our bosses that was sometimes not great, the back and forth conversations we had when we were trying to come up with the meaning and the structure of the show how we went about getting our guests, and then all the ups and downs that go along with it. And we'd rather just like illustrate how everything happens, good and bad, rather than just put a shiny veneer on things anyway. Because, I mean, no episode of Buy the Book shows a book 100% being like, this is the best thing you'll ever read. We've never once said that with any book. We always show some good and some bad of every book we follow. And so we did the same with my book too. You got to see that making a podcast isn't always easy. Sometimes making a podcast it's not all linear. It's not just steps one through seven. Sometimes it's one through three, then back to one, then up to six, then back to one again. And then eventually, hopefully you make it to the seventh step. And there was a great point in that episode where an executive asks you, since you're the skeptic on buy the book on the new program, how are you going to be a person that gives advice when you're kind of skeptical of this whole arrangement? Yes. Yes. And that was such a good question to be asked. I mean, it was important because Joe Linton and I weren't even thinking about that. And then after that question, it became obvious to us. It's like, well, of course I can still be the skeptic. What we'll make sure every guest knows from the get-go, we'll tell them in every episode, you can question us, you can ignore our advice, you can remake it for yourself. Because what we've realized, and we realized this while we were making the pilot of our show, what's helped people almost more, and I almost feel like I'm revealing a secret I shouldn't hear, but I'm going to, what seems to help most of our guests more than the advice we give them is the accountability that we force them to have to think about what matters to them. And so just when we give them those steps, whether or not they follow them, the fact that each of those steps is supposed to encourage them to think about what they need and think about what value they have in the world, and then to have to report back to us, that seems to make more of a difference than whether or not they follow the steps exactly anyway. So we just go in there and we say, we're not thought leaders, we're not gurus, we're not experts. We just want you to love yourself more at the end of this, and we're not trying to fix you. What it comes down to is, We hope you love yourself a little bit more at the end. You don't need fixing. You're perfect the way you are. Anybody who says you're broken is a liar. In the book, your journalism background shows you put the most important question at the very beginning, and it's why do you want to do a podcast? What do you expect to get out of this? Yes, and there are so many people I talk with, and they don't know the answer, and they're shocked when I ask them that question. I'm going to ask you. I bet you know. Why do you want to start a podcast? Why did you start yours? Okay, I started Mystery Pod. Book Talk is a radio program that existed before I came on as an editor, the host, and producer. So that was just something I did because I worked at the radio station. (laughs) But Mystery Pod I did because I thought there was a gap in the market of podcasts about mystery and crime novels and true crime books. At the time, this was back in 2012. And I thought I'm good at what I do. I really enjoy this community because it seems like in some literary communities, there's a lot of competition amongst the writers. But in this one, it seemed they were very supportive. I'd gone to BoucherCon, one of the big mystery writer conventions, and just saw people really enjoying themselves and getting along. And I said, you know, people should know more about this aspect. It's not all about 
whodunits and tracking down serial killers. There's another aspect of this that I'd love for people to get to see. See, that's a good reason. That is a good reason. So you knew why you wanted to do it. You probably brought some side of the world, of the literary world, to your listeners that they didn't even know existed, and they probably loved it. But so many people I talk with, they say, oh, because everyone's doing it? Isn't that what you're supposed to do now is have a podcast? Or, and I mentioned this in my book, the other one I hear all the time is like, well, my friend Dave and I are really funny. Dave, he totally cracks me up. He's just like super funny dude. And like when we're together, we're so funny. It's like, that's not a reason why. You need to know why you're starting it. And my second question I always ask is, who is it for? If you know why you're starting it and who it's for, that answers so many of the subsequent questions that will come later. Like, how should it be structured and how do you promote it? And the promotion question comes up to me all the time. People constantly ask me, like, how do you get giant audiences for your show? And I said, well, first you have to know who your show is for. Who's your show for? And if they don't know the answer, I say, you need to figure that out first because you can't bring a show to a community if you don't know who the community is you're trying to reach. Now, I'm not a reality program TV watcher, but I've heard people talk about Shark Tank and Dragon's Den. There's always a, a comment that one of the dragons or sharks will say, and it's, that's a product, not a company. Oh, that's good. So tell us the difference between an idea and a show. Oh, yes. Well, an idea is like, let's use you as an example here. Well, my idea is books. People love books. Why wouldn't they want a show about books? No, that's an idea. That's not a show. A show is... I'm going to show the other side of the mystery writing community where authors actually tell stories about themselves, their experiences with true crime, the writing world. What you were making was a show. An idea is books. A show is what you're talking about. And a lot of people I talk with, and again, I don't want to discourage or disparage any people who are just starting out in the podcasting world and who are still getting their legs. I know it's confusing. Sometimes it's scary, but it makes me sad how many people I talk with who don't distinguish between those two things. Because once you know what your show is, once you know why you're making it, who it's for, and you have a show, then you can actually make something that people will want to listen to. An idea, do I want to listen to a show about books? That sounds like too generic. It's an idea. It's not a concept. What is the structure of that? You know, I want to know that the show has a structure. It has a point of view. It is going to take me on a journey in each episode. What is the journey that the show is going to take me on? And who am I going to learn about or be introduced to along the way on that journey? And I don't have to learn something smart. As a reality show lover, it could just be like a recap of what happened on, I love this show called Instant Hotel. It's an Australian reality show where people go to each other's Airbnbs and then they just give them bad reviews. I love that show. But like if there was a show that just recapped that, I would listen to it if I knew that like each show is like supposed to be recapping that episode. And then by the end of the show, we hear your rating of the episode because that's a journey. I know what the point is of the show. I know the path it's going to take me on. I know it's a story. You're going to be terrified that book talk has no arc to it. <laughs> you don't think there's an arc to this conversation? Oh, not at all. Oh, that's malarkey. You know, you know that there's a structure to it. But some of the best structures, people don't even know they're listening to structure. Now, one of the things that I've been irritated by in reality programming is the same thing in self-help books, is that there's a lot of unnecessary material there. Oh, mercy, there is. They tease before the commercial break and they yes. recap at the next commercial break. And it seems most self-help books could be a, a nice pamphlet yes. if it really came down to it. But your show and your book, all killer, no filler. That's what I tried for. It's like you can have a story here and a story there. For example, I think story is a great way to illustrate things. 
but you don't need a story followed by a letter from somebody who says, your book changed my life, followed by six more letters saying, your book changed my life, followed by another story, all to illustrate. I mean, a lot of self-help authors do this. They might have a concept like go to bed at nine o'clock every night, just as a random example. So chapter one is go to bed every night at 9 p.m. And they'll say for a paragraph, yeah, going to bed at 9 p.m. every night means that your serotonin levels will even out, or they'll say something like that. And you know, whatever nonsense they want to. And then they'll tell a story about their lives, about it. Then they'll have six letters from people who say, hey, I started going to bed every night at 9 p.m. per your suggestion, and let me tell you what changed in my life. And you'll see six letters. Then the author will tell another story about how they go to bed at 9 every night. And then by the end of the chapter, you'll be like, there was only one paragraph of instruction in this whole chapter, and there were 28 pages of just filler. And I find it irritating as heck. <laughs> and I just, like you said, I wanted to trim the fat. I just wanted to have everything that was in there be necessary. I just wanted every word should be there for a reason. And if it's not, it doesn't belong in my book or on my shows that I host. Probably should be grateful now you've read all those self-help books because you learned what not to do in your own book. <laughs> oh my gosh. Am I grateful I read all those self-help books? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> in the book, you talk about having a co-host is a wonderful thing. I love it. It's not for everybody. I've never had one on book talk. I've had other people host the show in my, in my absence, mm -hmm. but so tell me why maybe I should have a, a co-host. I don't know if you need one, actually. I don't think every show does, but I do think that there are definitely single hosted shows where there are no guests. And I think that can be a real challenge if it's just a single hosted show where the person is monologuing or instructing or whatnot, I think that it can have a few challenges. One, just logistically speaking, what if you get sick? What if your voice is bad one week? What if you have a sore throat? So are you just going to randomly, your listeners are going to not get an episode that week because you got sick? That's one of the risks of single hosting a show. Another is that when you have a host, you have somebody to play off of. A co-host can help you bring out different parts in your personality. But on a show like yours, a guest can do that with you because it's never just you just monologuing. You oh, know? God forbid. <laughs> but there are shows like that. You know there are a lot of shows like oh, that. Oh, where yeah. Bill some, Burr's podcast. Is, yeah. Is Monday and morning podcast, some people yeah. just think that they're... In some cases, they are, but they'll just talk into a microphone for an hour straight. But other parts of our personalities come out when we talk to other people that are funny or ridiculous or shocking or interesting in some way or another. So you have that in the form of your guests. But I personally love having a co-host to do that with because we can, in a way, we are amping up certain parts of our personalities for the sake of the show, but then also poking holes in those things we're amping up and then revealing things that people might not know about us. And I think it's more fun for the listeners. If it was just Jolenta living by self-help books, mm, would it be as fun? If it was just me, mm, I don't think so. It's much more fun having two of us and then for us to spar a little bit over it too. So other than your own book, what's the best self-help book you've done on the show? Oh my gosh, there are so many that I've loved. This most recent season, we lived by a book by Katie Butler, I believe her name is, The Art of Dying Well. And it's really about preparing for the fact that we're all going to die. And that includes everything from what we do with our health to the logistics of paperwork to our final wishes of what we want to have done with our bodies. And what was so beautiful about the book is its central thesis is that if we prepare for all those things, not only is it a gift to our survivors, because then they don't have to deal with like the misery of also trying to clean up all the crap you left behind. So it's a gift to our survivors 
but it's also a gift to ourselves because if we know what's important for us at the end, we also know what's important to us now. And knowing what's going to happen when we die also helps us to celebrate why we're living and what we're living for. So I thought that was a beautiful book. That was our most recent season. And I also loved the book, Why Good Things Happen to Good People. And that was a book that just encouraged us every single day to try and be kind. Because I find personally that for me, it's a huge happiness maker whenever I get to be kind to somebody else, whether it's just you know complimenting somebody on their killer hat that they're wearing or helping them carry their groceries, whatever it is, it makes me a little happier when I can make someone else's day a little better. So I love that book. I guess it was just confirmation bias of something I already enjoy doing. (laughs) Did it have, I think there's a quote, I think it's Henry James who said, there are three rules to being human. The first is to be kind. The second is to be kind. And the third is to be kind. Oh my gosh. I love that. Oh, I love that. I don't think that's in the book, but if it is, I apologize to the authors, but oh, I love that. Someone's just starting out In terms of social media, where are their efforts best focused at at the very beginning? Well, I think when it comes to social media, you want to focus on whatever is going to encourage people to feel a sense of community. So I'm very much in favor of things like Facebook communities. And also, you know, if you can, have a website. A website's a great place where people can, if they're scared of devices, there are some people who are scared of Stitcher or Spotify, these different apps, just the word apps kind of scares some people. So if you have a website where people can go directly to the website and hit the play button on an episode, most people in the world nowadays are comfortable navigating to a website. And then if they see a play button, hitting the play button. And then if you have a website that includes a blog component where you write, you know, here's a few paragraphs about this episode, then people can comment there and have a sense of community there. Also, it's great if you can have Twitter and Instagram, if you can do those things also. And then I highly encourage everybody to have both a voicemail and an email box and have as many ways for people to reach out to you as possible. But don't just count on them reaching out to you. In every episode of the show, tell people, hey, what's the greatest mystery novel that you read this week? Or next week, we're going to talk with so-and-so mystery author. What questions do you have for her? Send them in. We may share one of your questions on the show. So ask people to either share their stories or ask them pointedly to do an assignment. And the assignment also you can do on Twitter or somewhere else. For example, when I was working with Gretchen Rubin, at one point I said, let's have people do haikus about something. And I think if they were happiness haikus and then people wrote in and that resulted in more people following her on Twitter and it resulted in more engagement where people felt that they were connected to Gretchen and to the show. And so all of these things kind of play off of each other. And the more people feel connected to your show, the more other people they'll tell about it. And those other people then will go to your social media sites and so on. So the social media, it's great to have that, but it's also very important in every episode of your show to drive people to your social media who are listening. Then that will snowball. While the sense of community is great, there's also the the downside of possibly trolls. Oh, yes. And all of this. So how do you deal with trolls in this circumstance? <laughs> oh, there's always going to be trolls. I think the first thing, rule number one is just accept the fact that there's always going to be trolls. You know, look at any article that's on any social media site. What does it take? Like three comments down before someone says something crappy, right? <laughs> there are always going to be trolls, but there are always going to be great people too. And some of those great people may not want to be on a Facebook community where everyone can see their comments, but they may want to leave you a voicemail. They may want to email you. 
And they'll be so grateful to you when you read their comment on your show. When Janine, who is in Nebraska, writes to you and says, oh my gosh, I just love that you're going to be interviewing so-and-so author next week. This is my question for her. And when you read her question on the air and say, oh, I have a question here from Janine in Nebraska, she's going to, when she hears that, jump up and down in her kitchen while she's making breakfast. Or when she's driving along, she might cry a little bit on the drive to work because she's like, oh my God, he heard me. He didn't just hear me, but now he's saying my name. I hear my name on this show. And so for every troll, there's plenty of people who are like Janine in Nebraska, who's going to just be grateful and be happy to share her story. I did see that the call-in line for your new show has a Mississippi area code. (laughs) It's the Mississippi connection for the show. (laughs) There's not actually a Mississippi connection, but this is something that everyone out there should do if they're going to start a podcast. See if part of the name of your show can spell out a certain word. So we wanted the word love somewhere in our phone number. And then we did a Google phone number and we searched for any phone number that we could have on Google that would have the word love in it. And then they gave us like, oh yeah, this has the word love in it, but it happened to have an area code in Mississippi. And we're like, that's fine. Just as long as the word love is in it. And our by the book phone number has the word book in it too. So you mentioned earlier that you love Dolly Parton. We're in Nashville. You're getting to go see her 50th anniversary at the the Opry tonight. Can you give us three of your favorite Dolly songs? Oh my gosh. So it's funny you asked this because I was just thinking about this earlier today. I was thinking, oh my gosh, if I could only listen to 10 Dolly songs for the rest of my life, what would they be? But three is tougher. Just three that first come to mind that you love. So I absolutely adore I Will Always Love You, which sounds like a love song, but it's a goodbye song. And when we were living by the art of dying well, one of the things was to imagine what you want happening around you when you're on your deathbed. And I thought, oh, wouldn't it be so great if that was just playing in the room while I died? Um, Because it's a song about, you know, it's not trying to be a mean goodbye song. I love you, but I have to go to this next place. And I just, I adore that song. Here You Come Again. I love that. There's a line in there. Here You Come Again. Looking better than a body has a right to. Oh, it's so naughty. I just love it, Dolly. And then Coat of Many Colors. I cry every time I hear that song. I just adore that song. I love that it's so true to her family and her roots. And then to look at her on stage now and here she is in sparkles and sequins with, you know, tens of millions of fans around the world who just adore her. Hundreds of millions of fans probably. And to come from that humble background where Her mom had to sew her clothes made out of rags and her dad couldn't read. And now she means so much to so many people and she has a literacy foundation and her clothes are sparkly. It's just, it's beautiful. So just those three. (laughs) She gives away a book to every new child that's born in Tennessee. They can sign up and get a new book. Yeah, it's just so beautiful. And a few years ago, my husband and I, when we got married, we honeymooned in Dollywood and we were very fortunate. She was playing there at the time, and it happened to be her 50th anniversary year being married to Carl. But we were there, and shortly after we left, those fires broke out that pretty much just completely shut down the whole region. And she donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to all the families in that area to keep them afloat, and that wasn't highly publicized. But she is just so generous and kind with all she can do with helping the community she grew up in, with helping the state, and then just helping people more broadly. And I just adore her. I think we should start a hashtag on Twitter that's uh, Kristen Dolly Podcast. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. There's already a Dolly Podcast launching next week, I think it is. No, but you and Dolly together, not about Dolly. Oh, my gosh. If it was me and Dolly together... Oh, please, you're making, I'm going to faint. This is such a good idea. (laughs) Dolly, if you're listening, please, let's make this happen. 
Well, Kristen, I want to thank you so much for sitting down here and being silly with me for a little bit and giving people a lot of great insight and encouragement for doing something new in their lives. Oh my gosh, it was such a joy talking to you. Thanks so much for having me. Kristen Meinzer is the author of So You Want to Start a Podcast, Finding Your Voice, Telling Your Story, and Building a Community That Will Listen, which is published by William Morrow. I'm Stephen Ussery, and this is Book Talk. Thank you for joining us today. Book Talk is recorded in the studios of WIPL in Memphis, Tennessee. If you have any questions or comments, you can email us at wiplfm at gmail.com or write to us at Book Talk, care of WIPL, 3030 Poplar Avenue, Memphis, Tennessee, 38111, or call us at 901-415-2752. This recording of Book Talk is licensed under the Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivative Works 3.0 License for the United States. You are free to share, copy, distribute, or display and perform this work, but there are restrictions. Nothing in this license impairs or restricts WYPL's moral rights. Thank you for listening to Book Talk.